Good morning, church. And once again, thank you so much for being flexible. I'm so uh, just honored that you are tuning in right now, whether this is in your office space or this is your living room. It's so good to have all of us together and gathering around this. And this is kind of the interesting thing. We had planned on uh, continuing the Unoffendable series and the sermon that Pastor Eric and I had planned for this weekend, I'm, which is, I'm so excited about. But we want to delay that until next week when we can actually be on campus because there's something very important about uh, being there that will tie into the sermon. And so instead of just totally uh, ditching it all together, we just pro- postponed it till next week. And in the midst of that, it kind of became something where it became more clear that by switching that to that ne- next week, rather than just subbing in a, a different sermon from down the road, really wanted to focus in on the reality that all of us find ourselves in. You may be someone who, with the election results as is, you are exuberant, you're ecstatic, and some of you are just the opposite. You are demoralized, you're decimated. Um, If you're a Democrat, this might be one of those things where you're like, finally. And if you're a Republican, you might just be just absolutely just like, I can't believe this is happening. And if you're someone who finds yourself to be politically homeless, where you're like not quite in either camp, you might just be confused. You're not sure exactly how you're feeling. And the important thing as a Christian is that we're coming at this differently than everyone else. And this is a problem with not just Americans, but every single human that has been on earth that has in some type of a system where we get pulled into thinking that this particular time frame is the most important, this particular election is a make or break, whatever. We've, do, we've been doing that for a long time as Americans, but humans have been doing that for thousands of years. Now, the thing about it for Christians is this. Jesus tried to communicate to his disciples a different perspective, one that whether you're a Democrat or Republican or other, you're going to find to be incredibly insightful for you. It's a different way of thinking of things, and it was so important that Jesus kept on drilling it into his disciples. In fact, it was a game changer that shifted the rest of their ministry and their career, and it ultimately changed the entire world because they started to understand what it was that Jesus was meaning when he said kingdom. The thing that Jesus kept on teaching was a different way of thinking about life as they knew it, and he kept on using the word kingdom. Now, if you would have pulled the disciples and asked them, what is the most dangerous kingdom around? Or what is the most important kingdom around? Or what is the most significant kingdom around? Or what kingdom has the most potential to do the most good? They probably would not have voted that it was Jesus's. Jesus's kingdom sounded confusing. It sounded counterintuitive. And to be honest, the most powerful kingdom was the Roman kingdom. That was the empire at play. And yet, in the midst of that empire, Jesus continued to try to condition and train his followers to have a different perspective on politics and world as we know it. And it was something that was so insightful to them that they had to start seeing the world, even the world under Roman occupation, as part of Christ's kingdom. And if Christ has a kingdom, that kingdom needs a king. And Jesus was very clear of who that king was. Jesus is king. And the thing that I want to communicate to you that I hope none of us ever forget is this, that especially with regard to an election, you can't vote Jesus in and you certainly can't vote Jesus out because he's a king and you don't vote for kings. You just serve them. And that is the most important thing that we're going to be learning about today. Because if we as Christians have a kingdom mindset, the thing that Jesus tried to pass on to his disciples, we're going to be able to go through these election cycles every four years without the same gravity 
that everyone else in our culture has because we'll have perspective. And I believe not only just perspective, we'll have a different power that comes along with the gospel that impacted and changed the entire world. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn in them to the book of 1 Peter. Peter was one of those disciples that Jesus tried to communicate this concept of kingdom to. And after Jesus died on the cross at the hands of the Romans and rose again three days later, he, it changed him. And, and all of a sudden, he's now going out and he's talking to both Greeks and Jews. That was something that he actually struggled with for a long time, but ultimately he got over it. And he writes this letter to a group of people who are persecuted. They are politically powerless and they're in a situation where the, the climate and the environment that they're in is super hostile to Christians. And he says this, as he's talking to them, he's trying to help them understand a different way of looking at life to recognize that this world isn't our home and this political climate isn't where we're supposed to find ourselves feeling like, I I feel completely natural and normative here, but to have a different mindset about it. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 9. He says this, But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. He's, He's using the words of Hosea there saying, you know, one time we were disconnected from God, but now he's adopted us in. We are part of the family. And because of that, whether you come from a Jewish backdrop or not, if you've accepted Christ, all of a sudden you have a new identity. And not only a new identity, a new destination. Verse 11 says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor, to the supreme authority, or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing so, by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone Love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. These were tough words for Peter to write, I'm sure. But it's one of those things that even though it's 2,000 years ago, even though these guys weren't voting in any election, the kingdom principles that Jesus tried to just work into his disciples' thinking started to show its fruit in the way that Peter had his outlook after Jesus rose from the grave. And so what we're going to talk about today is what does kingdom thinking do to us? Like, how does it shift us? And the first thing that it does is kingdom thinking replaces our fear. Kingdom thinking, thinking about Christ's kingdom and that reality that he's ultimately going to restore all things, that our king is coming back. That thinking actually just destroys all of our fears. Um, One of the things that I've had the, honestly, the privilege and the honor to do is to sit with people or super bummed out after a presidential election. And I've been doing so for, well, I've been doing so for about 20 years, but, but specifically the past 12 to 16 years, I've, I've had a chance to sit with people after an election, Democrats and Republicans from Mission Bible Church, who've had a chance to sit there and just, just vent 
and just just mourn the fact that their candidate didn't win. And the thing is, is this, is that they're not, um, the thing that's ripping them apart or making them so upset is not the fact that their team lost. Like all of us know what it's like to root for someone and see that, that team or that, that whatever not win. That's one thing. That's not what they were experiencing. It wasn't that their team lost. It was that because of the fact that the other party and that candidate won, they were afraid of what that meant what was going to be lost, or what types of decisions were going to be made. And the crazy thing is, is that honestly, most of the fears that people have on the onset, at the beginning of a term of a new president, most of the things that they communicate is, I'm afraid X, Y, and Z are going to happen. More often than not, X, Y, and Z don't. Not to the degree that we were afraid. Now, I'm I'm completely cop to the fact that every single president, regardless of the political stripe, have made epic fails along the way. But honestly, the things that we are most afraid of what could possibly happen, more often than not, don't. But that's not even the point. The point is, is that the fear that we have, even if the fear is actualized, even if it actually happens, like the thing that you're most afraid of, if you were most afraid of a second term for Trump, if you're most afraid of President Biden-elect getting in, whatever that fear was, even if it's that times two, it still doesn't show up with the anxiety that the first century Christians would have had. And in spite of the fear that would be normative and natural to them, they start saying crazy things like this. Um, I'm just going to jump on over to what Paul said in Philippians. In the book of Philippians, Paul's writing, and and the key word all the way through the book of Philippians is joy. Now, Paul had a lot of things in his life going on that were the opposite of joy. He was consistently in in political trouble. He, he obeyed um, all of the laws that were put in front of him with the exception of laws that were banning him from communicating about Jesus. And so he consistently was finding himself in jail and still in joy in the midst of that. Now, one of the things that he talks about in the midst of that situation is this. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and following, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, now again, whatever we're afraid of, Whatever you're afraid of, as far as being the worst that the Republicans, the worst that the Democrats could possibly do, the worst that communists and socialists could possibly affect, all of that is still not as bad as what Paul is experiencing when he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, because you probably weren't paying attention. Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome right now? The peace of God? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, meaning it defies logic, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you have a kingdom perspective where Christ is king, it actually protects you to, to the point that your fear is replaced with the ability to experience peace. Someone said at one time that you can't be both grateful, you can't have gratitude and fear simultaneously. It, it just doesn't happen. One seems to cancel out the other. And in Jesus, because Jesus is king, we have kingdom thinking that replaces our fear. And that's good news because Jesus is still king. You can't vote him in. You certainly can't vote him out. And and you can't vote for him in the first place because he's a king. You can't vote for a king. You just 
serve him. Not only does kingdom thinking replace our fear, but kingdom thinking also repositions our confidence. And that, that's, again, something that as Americans, we have a whole lot of investment in our, our, our role, our part in the election process of bringing someone into power. And, and one of the things that people champion after an election is that we had a part in doing this. And um, if, if your side wins, man, you are just bolstered because you feel like you have a voice, you feel like you're heard. If your side loses, you feel frustrated and, and, and as if the, the things that were most important to you have been ignored and have fallen along the wayside. But that comes from putting our confidence in something and someone that isn't our king. This is where your salvation saves you. Uh, you're saved for eternity because of Jesus, but your salvation saves you from something else. You could actually get rescued. Your confidence in your candidate is something that gets replaced. Your confidence even in your country gets replaced by a deeper confidence in Christ, which will outlive your candidate and will outlive even your country. One of the things we've seen for 2,000 years is countries come and countries go. Political movements come and political movements go. We feel like they're fixed, but in all reality, they have come and gone for 2,000 years. You know what hasn't? Jesus. Jesus as the king has stayed the same. He has stayed the same. And one of the, what this means is that if your candidate wins a presidential election, your salvation saves you from placing too high an allegiance in that candidate. Conversely, if your candidate loses a presidential campaign, then, then that, your salvation rescues you. It saves you from being decimated by it. Why? Because your confidence wasn't in your country, your candidate. It was in Christ. Your confidence is not in these things that come and go. Instead, it's in something better. And that's not putting down your party. If you're a Democrat or a Republican or you're, you're not affiliated, you being political, you being someone that votes and is a good steward of your, of your opportunity that we have been given in this country is such a good thing. That's amazing. But the great thing is that as Americans, we operate with a freedom within our heart that comes from something even better than what we have in our country. It comes from something that we see in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews, it says this. The author of Hebrews is talking. Oh man, this has become one of my favorite passages just because of the fact that it surfaces the fact that we have something greater to look to than any political party or e even the best of countries. And I think we've got the best one any of those can afford. Check this out. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 13, it says this. After talking about all these people that had done epic things, these are imperfect people, but they lived by faith and God did amazing things through them, even though they didn't get to see all the effect of it. It says this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Again, you hear that same phraseology coming through in different New Testament writers. They've been affected by Jesus, and all of a sudden they looked at themselves, not pinned to their country and not pinned to their movement, but pinned to Jesus as a first and foremost person that defined their identity. And because of that, even though they didn't see the payout of following and being obedient to Jesus, they welcomed the reward at a distance. They died not yet seeing it. But that was cool because of this. They welcomed them as distance. They were foreigners and strangers in this earth. Verse 14, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country not of their own, or they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, verse 16, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Folks, one of the things that we get a chance to enjoy the reality of as Christians is this. As American Christians, we get a chance to live in the best country in the world. I love this country. But we have a perspective that is greater than even our country. We have to understand that our confidence is in Christ. Kingdom thinking not only replaces our fear, but it also repositions our confidence. That means if anything happens to your candidate, you're still confident. If anything happens to your country, as sad and demoralizing as that is, you are still confident because your confidence is bigger than your country or your candidate. The third thing that kingdom thinking restores and re- or replaces or trades out is kingdom thinking restores our hope. Um, uh, Tim Keller in, in a book called Counter for Gods said it this way, in any culture in which God is largely absent, sex, money, and politics will fill the vacuum for different people. This is the reason that our political discourse is increasingly ideological and polarized. This was written many, many years back, but it still holds up. Many describe the current poisonous public discourse as a lack of bipartisanship. Let me try that again. Many describe the current poisonous public discourse as a lack of bipartisanship. But the roots go much deeper than that. As Niebuhr taught, if they go back, and this is someone that, that uh, Keller was studying, they go back to the very beginning of the world, to our alienation from God, and to our frantic efforts to compensate for our feelings of cosmic nakedness and powerlessness. The only way to deal with all these things is to heal our relationship with God. Um, one of the things that we have is we have a hope that gets restored. If we have kingdom thinking, we have hope that gets restored. That means that, that if your candidate wins, again, your deepest hope was never in your political party. You might have voted, you might be all about it, but it's not the deepest, not most deepest found there. Same thing about if your candidate loses, you don't lose all hope. Why? Because your hope was never secured and rooted in them. Instead, you are a citizen of heaven. You have a different perspective. One of the people that, that showed this most to me um, was was my grandmother, my, my grandma Hilda. Um, I've talked with her so many times. Um, but the thing that, that grandma Hilda, when, once she became a Christian, it was almost like she had just a, a different vantage point about everything. She voted. She never would tell us who she voted for. I think she was a lifelong uh, Democrat, but she never ta- talked about it because she's like, politics are supposed to be kept private. This is before Facebook. And she was someone who just was like consistently like just, she just lived life as a follower of Jesus. And she was someone who, who, no matter what was going on, her number one hope was found in Jesus. She was married to an, a, an awful husband who mistreated her, verbally abused everyone else, and, and she had a strength about her that rose above it in a way that, that was profound. It, it taught all of us lessons about what it looked like to be a strong person, and she showed us guys what, what the strength of a woman looked like. She was amazing. And in the midst of that, she didn't have much. And the thing that Grandma Hilda always talked about was the fact that she knew exactly where she was going. She knew that one day she was going to die, and she said she wasn't afraid of it. And I can attest to seeing her right in the last bit of time, right before she passed away, she meant it. She carried that, that courage and that, that, that concept, that vantage point, all the way to her grave. And the thing that my grandma was fixated and focused in on is, what, did Jesus ha- what does Jesus have me do today? And she let everything else sail to the sides. I love that. 
Now, she, grandma wasn't perfect. She had tons of her own issues and her own baggage. But the thing that she had that gave her the capacity to be resilient was a profound hope, a hope that was restored by the kingdom thinking that she learned from Jesus. I've talked about this before. My favorite thing about watching Grandma Hilda was Grandma Hilda in the morning, like if we spent the night at my grandma's house, we'd all sleep on the floor. We'd have these like super over, like massive long undershirts, like adult man undershirts, but we wore them as, as PJs and they went down to like our ankles practically. And I remember just like waking up um, in, in the living room and seeing my grandma, all the lights out in the whole house and Grandma Hilda sitting there by one little lamp with this little golden uh, Bible that she had, just sitting there having her cup of coffee and smoking her cigarette and just reading her Bible. She used God's word to give her a kingdom perspective of how she was supposed to operate and live in a difficult and precarious life in Ontario, California, married to Everett McFadden, trying to raise two boys. And she did an amazing job. She had amazing, profound hope. One of the things that I want to encourage you to do right now, this is in the aftermath of an election, one of the most divisive elections in history. Our world, I mean, you don't get down to the margins like we, like we were at very often, and yet we were there. And one of the things that's so important for us to do as Christians is this. I want to just challenge you, is to think about the fact that you've got this hope, and the fact that this hope is rooted in Jesus, to realize that there's people who voted differently than you that have that same hope in Jesus. And you know them. I hope you do. I hope you know someone who didn't vote like you. If you do, if you know someone who didn't vote like you, who claims Christ as their Savior, I want to encourage you this week, maybe even today, reach out to that person with love. Now, you might be someone who your, your candidate lost, and so you're going to be reaching out to someone who voted for, for Biden. And, 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 and because of that, it's going to be something that will feel very, very humiliating for you. Your friend is going to be waiting for some type of a you know, punchline that's going to come in, and you're not going to give it. And the reason you're not going to give it is because of the fact that you're going to be expressing the fact that you have a profound, restored hope that unifies you. Your common hope in Christ is greater than your political differences. Your common hope in Christ is greater than your profound differences. What if you allowed the restored hope that you have in Jesus be something that unites both of you? If you're someone um, that voted for, uh, for Biden, and you know, reaching over to the other side is something that has become something really uh, taboo. I mean, it's almost like if someone disagrees with you pu- publicly or politically, you're supposed to publicly cancel and condemn them. But you're a Christian, and you've got the same hope. In fact, you've got a future hope that means that you're going to be around like the same table eating food together in a time where there's all of the issues that you were so adamant about, wanting to see justice, wanting to see all the pain that you wanted to see your policies resolve will no longer be necessary because the King of Kings will have resolved them. We'll no longer be needing uh, people to do things that will actually reinstill hope because Jesus himself will be the restorer of our hope. And the greatest thing is, is that Jesus is still king. Jesus is still king. You can't vote him out. You can't vote him in. You can't vote for him at all because he's a king. You don't vote for kings, you just serve them. What if you actually served King Jesus by allowing the unified hope that you have with people that you didn't vote like be something that brought unity to you today? So, just as wrapping this up, kingdom thinking... Um, it actually replaces our fear. It subs it out. Kingdom thinking repositions our confidence. It restores our hope. And finally, kingdom thinking reprioritizes 
our work. One of the things that Peter was getting at in that passage in, in, in uh, 1 Peter is he starts to talk through the reality that this reality we have of being um, foreigners, the reality we have as being strangers in this world, that, that we actually claim a deeper national origin with Jesus than we do with any nation we ever belonged to or visited, means that it changes us from the inside out. And this is great. He says this, Dear friends, once again, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to condemn those who do right. For it is God's will that they that it is God's will that by doing good, you shall silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. As citizens of heaven, um, we, are, we have an opportunity to realize that we have the most important work. And the most important work that you could be a part of is not at the ballot. It's not in placing a vote. As important as that is, as, as I think that's an important way to, that we steward our rights as Americans, the most significant work that you will see to change the culture is not at the ballot box. It's in the relationships you have on a day-to-day basis, starting in your house, moving out to your work or to your school. Junior hires and high schoolers, you are culture changers simply by stepping into the culture that you're a part of and being real. Being, being the honest person who's a follower of Jesus in spite of the fact that you don't have everything together. Parents, you have the opportunity to shape with your kids this reality of understanding that you have work to do as parents. All of us struggle as parents. And, and honestly, sometimes it's overwhelming, but, but we're citizens of heaven. Our king is King Jesus. That means that he actually can affect change right where we're at. One of the things that we can actually affect change in is watching, letting our kids watch us as we're processing the election. Now, if you are exuberant, it's important that you're communicating to your kids that your faith is not in this new president. And if your candidate lost, you need to showcase the fact that you're not a person built out of fear because you're a Christian. And Christians, we don't operate by fear. We operate by faith, faith in our King of Kings. We get a chance to show kids, the people in our family, this reality. Kingdom thinking reprioritizes our works. We can respectfully have the opportunity to critique our government. We can have the opportunity to, in an honoring way, to call out both sides of the aisle when they're off the grid. And we could do so with respect and dignity. Why? Because we're Christians. We have a ton of work of bringing the good news to the people that do not know Jesus, of bringing help to the poor, to seeking out ways to assist the marginalized. This is the task that Jesus put in front of his disciples and said, this is kingdom work. This is the kingdom thinking that actually reprioritizes everything from our fran- the way that we interact with our families, to our friendships, to our community, to our church. This is something that we have. And, and I want to give you just um, two key ways that we can actually step into that this week. If, as people that are kingdom thinkers, we're shifting the way that we think about life. Instead of just letting whatever we're watching on the news or reading on our Twitter feed dictate our attitude, our perspective, and our outlook. Instead of that, what if we allowed 
the kingdom perspective that comes from being a Christian shift in us, and we actually start to do what Scripture calls us to do. Peter, in a time when being a Christian was not only illegal, it was, it was death-defying, is talking about honoring a really bad emperor, a really messed up, evil, wicked, terrible person. And he's saying to honor that person because of the fact that by doing so, we'll be setting an amazing example for our lost neighbors. Now, that didn't make sense to them. But one of the things that we have, whether it was under President Trump or whether it's under now President Biden, we have an opportunity, regardless of how you voted, to do exactly what Peter said. I got to tell you a quick story. Um, my dad, uh, my grandma was lifelong Democrat. My dad, for the most of his life, has been a Republican. It's probably rebellion. I don't know. But, but I, I don't think he's voted for a Democrat since 74. So that's my dad. Um, when Trump um, got elected, he sent a message out, a Facebook message out, to all of his kids and their spouses. Now, all of his kids and spouses vote differently. And yet when President Trump got elected, he wrote and he said, he had a picture of Trump and he said, your, ca- your candidate or not your candidate, it doesn't matter anymore. He's your president. And then my dad quoted a Bible passage about how we should be praying for him which for the people that didn't vote for Trump really ruffled some feathers. And yet I'm blown away with, no, I'm not blown away with, this is kind of like, this This makes sense. Just today, my dad um, resent out another message to all of his kids and all their spouses, some of whom voted for Biden, some of whom voted for Trump. And he wrote, uh, he had a picture of Biden. And this was after um, it looked like Biden had really crossed the line into 270. And he said, your candidate or not your candidate. It really doesn't matter. He's your president. And he quoted the same passage, the same passage that I'm going to read for you right now. And this is something that for for me as, as a kid of my dad, I can recognize my dad has strong perspectives politically. My dad's always been a political junkie. And yet he showed me what it looked like to be a kingdom thinking Christian when a Republican wins that he voted for or a Democrat wins that he didn't. And then regardless of where you vote, this is kingdom principles that we get a chance to emulate. That if you're a Democrat, you should have been doing this as along with your Republican brothers and sisters for Trump. And if you're a Republican, you should be doing this alongside your Democrat brothers and sisters for President Biden. The passage is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Listen to this. I urge you then, this is Paul writing to Timothy, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all all those in authority. Again, all those in authority are against Christians at this time. And he's saying we need to pray for them. We need to ask God to bless them. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. The thing I love about that is that that prayer that my dad put on Facebook message to this diverse group of voters, his kids and their spouses, my dad did that consistently either way. And, and honestly, that is what we as Christians need to do. Kingdom thinkers. Our faith is bigger than our, our political party. Our faith is bigger than our country. Our faith is bigger than our problems. 
as a country right now. We have a fractured country. But we have a faith that's greater than that. We have a kingdom perspective of the fact that Jesus is going to make all things new. And until then, we've got work to do. We have a significant amount of work to do. So the first thing I want to encourage you to do, I don't care how you voted, if you call yourself a Christian, this week I want you to pray for President Biden elect. I want you to pray for his administration. I want you to pray for our vice president, Kamala Harris. I want you to pray. Can I say a prayer enabled? Do you want to open it? <laughs> Alexa, be quiet. I can't even preach. I can't even preach <laughs> living without Alexa interrupting. Uh, <laughs> normally, I think this is where I would have Benji, like, cut and edit. But you know what, folks? We're going to keep it in. <laughs> we need to be the people that are praying for President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect uh, Harris. These are the people that have come into power. They are people that are leading our country. And we have a God that's greater than... One of the things that's, that's amazing is we have a God that's greater than even our differences. If you are diff- if you voted differently than... than uh, than your Democrat brothers and sisters. What we need to do is be asking that God will guide them to make godly decisions, that he will bring their heart close to him. Again, this is what we should be, we should have been praying for President Trump and President Pence for the past four years, and we should continue it on. And if there's a second term, we pray for that. And if there's someone else that's in power, we pray for them. And we recognize that we can do that with an open heart and an open mind because we are people that are people of the kingdom. That's the first thing. Pray for the president and president-elect for this next term. Second thing we need to do is we need to do exactly what he's calling us to do. We allow the kingdom perspective to shift the way that we love one another. That has been Jesus's kingdom thinking perspective all the way through. And it's what Paul and what Peter and what John and what James and what all these guys picked up on the fact that these are our values. We have an opportunity and a necessity to step into actually being the people that are loving those around us. Um, That means that we need to love our neighbor. We need to love our Republican neighbor and our Democrat neighbor in Jesus' name. We need to love our our believing neighbor and our atheist neighbor in Jesus' name. We need to be loving our old and our young neighbor in Jesus' name. We need to be uh, loving the people that we think like, and we need to be voting for the uh, loving the people that are so far from our thinking that we can't possibly get why they live the way that they live. And we're loving them as well. We love these people not because it makes us a better person. We don't love these people because it makes us a better person, but because that's the person that Jesus made us to be. We do not love these people that way because it makes us a better person. We love people that way because that's the person that Jesus made us to be. Church, we are on the brink of amazing uh, an amazing new year. And I don't know if it's going to be as crazy town as 2020 was. I really hope it isn't. But the truth is this. Whenever Christians are in times like this, they have a chance to shine. And they only do when they're living out the kingdom thinking that Jesus taught them. The kingdom living that leads us to actually reach out and look for ways to love those who are different from us and love those who are our enemies and even love and pray for those who persecute us. That, that takes everything off the table as far as what we're afraid of and gives us full reign to step in and lean in with love that Jesus called us to. 
I want to challenge you to do that today. As, as you're listening to this song and, and, and you're just looking at these images, I want to challenge you to seek in your heart and ask God openly, who is it that I need to have a better kingdom thinking with regard to? How do I need to shift the way that I have been living without the confidence of the kingdom, where I've been living in fears that have, have been uh, seemingly sabotaging my, my, my joy in the midst of this time? How have I I've been someone who's been living hopeless instead of hopeful because I haven't been a person that has been kingdom thinking? And also, how have I been a person that has forgotten my primary work of the gospel, of communicating the amazingly good news about Jesus to the people around me who need it most and living that out in love day by day? You have a chance to, to live that out. I want to encourage you to do so today.